Blog Talk Radio. Gentlemen, to the Donaldson Files. I'm Tom Donaldson. I'm the chairman of America's PAC. I am also the project director for America's Majority Foundation, the author of eight great books. A ninth one is on its way somewhere. Uh, and Coco, why don't you tell everybody what a great person you are? Hello, hello. How is everybody doing? My name is Coco. Um, I live in LA, I work in LA. And um, I do this. <laughs> and I, Tom, I, Tom, have had a hellish week. I just want to vent. Go ahead. I want to vent. So I got Go a ahead. call two days before Mother's Day. My parents decided to sell their house without telling me. Moved to Las Vegas, and I got, like, a two-day notice before they moved, Tom. I got a two-day freaking notice before they moved. Mm. Um, right before Mother's Day. Right before Mother's Day. Um, to say I was in shock is a very big understatement. You know, um, they had yeah. told their realtor, obviously, because she's the one who sold their house. Um, they really didn't tell anybody, so it wasn't like they went ahead and told all their friends. Like, nobody knew about this. But the fact that they had been planning this for, like, four or five months. And the kicker of this all, all the kicker of this is I actually had dinner with them four nights prior to them telling me, and they didn't say a thing. Hmm. Well, why did they not? I mean, why 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 did they keep this a secret? Or do you know? They didn't. Knowing how I am, I can get pretty intense. I feel they thought they didn't want to upset me, so they decided to kind of keep it under the radar until everything was finaled, and then you know, obviously, then tell me, which is fine. But um, I, I'm still in a little bit of shock. Like I, I saw my mom, my parents yesterday. You know, they were, you know, yeah. the house is done. The house is sold. They got a really good offer on it. Um, yeah. But, you know, to move to Nevada, I'm like, what? And it makes sense. My dad does a lot of business in Vegas. You know, um, Vegas is his, like, his, his, where he works, you know, most of the time. And uh, I see, I'll probably see them, you know, once a month. Um, when they drive yeah. here, and it's not that bad of a drive. It's like I actually looked it up, and it's about four hours and thirty minutes. So it's it's not as they were thinking about moving to Florida, and I was like, I probably would never see them again. So Nevada, it is. Yeah. But, All right. Well, so I mean, what kind of business? Imagine, yeah. can, you just, can you just imagine yeah. like like selling your house? Your daughter's in New York, selling your house, and being like, oh, by the way, I'm moving to like New Mexico. Bye. Well, <laughs> well, I'll tell you the truth, though. I mean, we're like in the middle of the country anyway, so it's not 
I mean, we're a lot slower. I mean, you got four hour trip. Yeah, my kids have to, you know, they're like, 50, you know, both of my kids are like 18 to 1,600 miles apart from us. So, so yeah. Right, right. Well, no, dude, I, yeah, totally, but, I totally get that. I totally get that. Yeah. And it's just, it, to me, it's just funny. Now I laugh about it. Yeah. Well, the only thing in our news is, you say, uh, you know, my oldest daughter's uh, 13-year-old cat passed away. Kind of oh, I'm sorry. It was one time she was sitting in the window and he fell, you know, and, you know, they said they, he, she heard a clump from the other room. Uh, they came to the other room and the poor cat was, was on the ground. So, I don't know. Oh, my sick, God. I mean, I can say. And so they took it to the bed by then. It was too late. So we're, we're kind of wondering oh, if he had just shoot. had a heart then we we'll try to wonder if he just had a kind of like a heart attack or something and just lost his balance. Uh, oh my goodness, that is that is awful. I'm really yeah. sorry to hear that. Yeah. So yeah. So now she's down to one cat again. <laughs> well, uh, I have a little story too. Um, my dog is the reincarnation of the devil. I don't know if you know that Ronald Reagan is the devil. Um, so I have this dog named Reagan, and. Yeah. My mom adopted my other dog because it turned Nancy. out my dog liked her more than me. Yeah. yeah was that Nancy? Well, we call her Malky. Nancy. Yeah, but we call her Malky now. My mom changed her name. Um, right. So, you know, my mom is like, she's doing errands. The movers are there. You know, she the dog weighs three pounds. I'm not exaggerating. It's, it's a teacup Maltese. Um. And so she's like, do you mind if I drop her over? And I was like, oh, I don't know. This is such a good idea because Reagan is like an only child. He's an only dog. And anybody yeah. that comes into his territory, it's like WTF, get out. But I relented and I was like, yeah, sure, okay, you know, what, what's going to happen? They, they basically were raised in the same house for a number of years. So you would think that they would be okay. Well, yeah. Yesterday, I bring her over as a kind of a surprise, and he, I mean, when I say pouting, Tom, he was literally pouting. He literally took himself, stood in a corner for half an hour, and just started whimpering. He hated yeah. it. So I'm like, what, what do I, I don't know what to do. I, don't, I honestly don't know what to do. She's a harmless three-pound dog. He's 24 yeah. pounds. You know, he's very, he's visibly upset. He's very upset. He looks depressed. He just looks depressed. And so yeah. I go to my, my boyfriend's daughter's room, um, and he's hanging out in there. This little three-pound dog walks in, and I he lets out this wolf growl that I don't even know he had it in him. It was like, I'm going to kill you. Get the F out. I had to hold him back from attacking her all because he decided hmm. to like walk into my, uh, my stepdaughter's room. And it's a funny thing is like, he protects my, uh, my stepdaughter. She's like, when he is around, when he, when she is around, he is like at her feet, he watches her, you know, he protects her. And so the fact that this little dog decided to come into, God forbid, her room, like, I, I don't know. I thought there was going to be blood. So moral of the story is there's no dogs allowed in my apartment anymore. Oh. So where's Reagan going? <laughs> no, Reagan's here. I meant no other dogs. <laughs> oh. Oh, I get it. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. 
Yeah, I mean, unless, like, yeah. I want to, like, have blood on my hands. No thanks. Yeah, well, I'll tell you what. I mean, like I said, I mean, we uh, we got I said, we were going to have Lauren Byes on the show tonight. We uh, were. By, uh, but she cannot. It appears that in Ireland she has uh, Internet connection in Ireland to here, or let's say phone connection, as well is very poor. Or it can be very very directed by the weather. And so we're going to try to have her on next week. But in the meantime, I actually found some awesome stories, guys. I found some really funny ones. Um, Tom, you want me to start with – I'm going to start with this one. And it's, I, I looked on this, like, this article because I wanted to find, like, kind of odd news yeah, stories. Yeah, hold on. Yeah, hold on. That. Yeah, before we get going, because I know okay. we'll have, a, like, a break in about a minute. But I don't want to get started. Uh, and then, All right. I won't. Uh, uh, uh. Go, Caleb! Come on. Hit a homer, Jesse. Go, guys. Hey, did you guys know that kids who play sports earn more money when they grow up? Of course. I I knew that. Hey, did you guys know that kids who read books have a bigger vocabulary? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. absolutely. Mm-hmm. Wow, Jinx. <laughs> did you guys know that friendly children have more friends? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's true. I knew that. Did you guys know that winter babies are better at music? Everyone knows that. Oh, yeah? yeah. Pretty obvious. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. obvious. Oh, hey, guys. Did you know that most people think they're using the right car seat for their kid, but they're not? Huh. I didn't know that. I'm pretty sure I knew that. I'm pretty sure you didn't. Parents who really know it all know for sure that their child is in the right car seat at the right age and size. Visit safercar.gov slash the right seat to make sure your child is protected. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Since Buffalo Wild Wings is always open late, here are a few things you'll enjoy. Buzzer beaters, wings in 21 signature sauces and seasonings, and great deals on food and beer. Grab select domestic draft beers starting at $4. $4 shareables like street tacos, fried pickles, chili queso dip, mozzarella sticks, and roasted garlic mushrooms, and deals on select liquor and house cocktails. Phew, that's a mouthful. Catch all of the late night action. Buffalo Wild Wings, wings, beer, sports. Offers and participation vary. Please drink responsibly. Void where prohibited. Yeah, welcome back to Donaldson Pile. Tom Donaldson with Coco Konsky and Coco, go ahead with your story. All right, so I found this really funny article that I thought was pretty great. Now these are 15 weird street names in the United States. So I'm gonna start off with number one. There is a there is um, this one is kind of at lame starts here, but there's a place called This Ain't It Road on the shores of Lake Martin in Dadeville, Alabama. Um, it just has a weird name, and that's about it. Uh, there are a couple houses, and that's it. They couldn't even get a Google view, street view from this place. So there's a place called This Ain't It, it Road, and literally it ain't it. Um, number two is actually one of my favorite names. It's called Psychopath. Um there's a street name to crash property value. Here it is. Then again, there's doubt there's much property on this private lane in Traverse City, Michigan. It is called Psychopath Lane, um, if you ever want to go. My other favorite right here, and this takes place in still Heather Highlands in Pennsylvania, it's called Divorce Court, Tom. Called oh. Divorce Court. Um there's no map bothers. It's so small that the map 
doesn't bother to list them. It, you know, I think that's pretty funny. Um, there's also a place, um, we take it back what we said about Psychopath Road, uh, Psychopath Lane. This one's the road you definitely don't want to live on. Um, and it is Shades of Death Road in New Jersey, which is supposedly passes by an old haunted lake. So if I were you, I would just drive on by. Yeah, I would um, too. There's a street called Kickapoo Street in Fort Worth, Texas. Um, you know, Kickapoo Street, that's that's insane. My favorite one, I have to say, you know, it doesn't quite beat Shades of Death Road, but it's a pretty good runner-up for the most gruesome street name, Blood Street. So, originally, there was a saloon that stood by the road. It was the only saloon in that town. Um, back in the 1800s. The saloon was originally called Terrell's Cottage, but a shootout in 1886 got so violent that buckets of blood ran on the salon's floor. After the event went viral, as viral as you can get in the 19th century, the saloon owners changed the name to capitalize on the fame. A smart but a bit tasteless business move. The The saloon's long gone, but the street still remembers its gory past. I thought that was great. Now, this is a funny name. Um, depends on what kind of humor you have. Um, there's a place called Fresh Holes Road. Fresh Holes Road, Tom. Um, they tried to look up the store behind the name, but they really couldn't find anything. It's probably not from the road condition, though. The pavement's not great, but uh, at least we don't see any potholes. Um, here's another one. Another one for Texas. I feel Texas is the runner-up in this article, Tom. Um, Harry Man Road. Harry Man Road. Um, that's that's funny. Uh, now this is in Texas, um, in a place called Round Rock. Um, they say the name from an actual Harry Man that was rumored to wander down the street in the days gone by. So um, that's the name. And the last one I'm going to put out: Chicken in the Woods Road. Can you imagine, Tom, can you imagine saying, like, someone asked you where you're dressed, and I'm like, yeah, I live in Chicken in the Woods Road. Like, I would no, just I be like, well, I'm not visiting you. I can't imagine that at all. <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine that at all. All right. I got a story. Go ahead. No, hold on. I wasn't done. Um, you know, this is one of the names that are so weirdly specific that some particle event must have been inspired by the name, but unfortunately they couldn't find anything, but it's probably safe to assume that at one point in time there was chicken in the woods, and that was a big deal. And that is the end. Yes. Well, you know, you know, here's the story I've got. This is a story. Uh, Tell me. New York City teacher caught sucking topless man's nipple during a Zoom class. Oh, I love uh, it. I, you know, real no, quick, yeah. when, you told, when, you, when you told me about that, I was like, okay. But the fact, like, I thought maybe it was, I don't, I, well, even if you, how would you do that accidentally? Like, it's not something that happens accidentally. You don't just, like, accidentally suck some guy's nipples on a Zoom call while you're trying to teach class. No. Like, I don't know. I don't know. So go on. All right. Well, here's the story. I mean, here's, I mean, this is the story. I mean, the thing that really strikes me, when you read the story, it's like, it wasn't like one of these accidents where, you know, somebody didn't realize they were on or that they had the camera on early. Okay. A spicy slip of the tongue. This is how the article begins. 
Lisa, a Spanish teacher being yanked from her classes after investigation. Now, this is a the Columbia Secondary School for Math, Science, and Engineering. So it sounds like it's a charter school in New York. It's a prestigious, you know, secondary school. All right. Okay. And so, okay. She's Amanda. The woman's name is Amanda Fletcher. She appears to be sucking the nipple of an unidentified topless man while she rocks her head back and forth, according to the Special Commissioner of Investigations for City Schools. Following this act, Fletcher's face turned in full view of the screen, and she gyrated her shoulder and smiled. And before that, and before that, the students watched her eat spaghetti with this shirtless man behind her. Wait, so so hold. Let me. Can I ask you a question? So, did the eating spaghetti come before or after? Well, it says here. I'm assuming before that. So I'm assuming that must well, have come Well, I mean, before. obviously, Tom, after, after I eat a bowl of spaghetti, I just want to suck on a man's nipples, clearly. Well, I'm going to say, <laughs> taking the mouth off the man's chest, he resumes teaching uh-huh. and discussing a worksheet. So she actually gets back to teaching. And like, how is that like, I mean, hold on, hold on, hold on. So, like, I have ADHD, so, like, my mind just goes all over the place. Like, I, how, how the hell do you just go back to teaching? Like, I mean, yeah, I, yeah. I, I wouldn't be able to concentrate. Yeah. And, of course, I mean, the thing is, it's, like, starting, like, 12 minutes before class ended. So, I, I'm assuming that this was doing – she was teaching and doing this during class, eating and sucking a man's nipple – and teaching all in the same class, and she now she didn't really have uh, so you know, weird. no explanation, and she did not uh, uh, did not choose. Well, to, what explanation you know, are you gonna have about what, what explanation would you have after you know you have your students watch you suck on some guy's nipple after you ate a bowl of pasta? Like, yeah. I, I was having a bad day. I, I don't know. Well, the thing is, she's been at the school since. Uh, 2007. Okay. And I guess so they're not going to pursue this, yeah, this blurry action against whoever that will be. And, you know, the thing is, the woman makes over $105,000 as a teacher here. Uh-huh. And, and this is, you know, I, and I'm not sure, this is my favorite line of this whole story. I mean, one of my favorites. Teachers should exclude non-classroom participants from appearing during classes. Yeah. Should not engage all of this. Eating, snacking, smoking, vapping, any way you use tobaccos, or any other activities that might prevent the educator from maintaining the total focus. And that they're now going to beef up teachers' training on appropriate and acceptable behavior. And I'm thinking to myself. I'm pretty sure sucking on some guy's nipple is like, you know, is not, we understand you know, if that. If you have to teach, you know, are you seriously going to have a class? Uh, a disciplinary class dealing Please with. Please refrain from sucking on random people's nipples in your house. And eating spaghetti it. before, yeah. I mean, it's like Jesus if you have to make these rules up, you have to make these rules up. Uh, if you have to make these rules up, I mean, I don't know. It, 
it has to make these rules up and tell people, right. don't do these things. You got to be, I, I got to be asking myself at the age of 37, you would think this is something that you might not want to do. And if you, I, I don't, it just seems strange to me. You're going to have a course saying, you know, I love it. Yeah, what, you know, we don't want you to engage in eating, snacking, smoking, bapping, or any way you use tobacco, any other activities like sucking on a man's nipple, nipple that might prevent you from maintaining your total focus. Wow. At least, yeah. Well, at least it was just sucking nipples. Oh my God, I can't imagine. <laughs> I, I, I seriously can't even fucking imagine. Um, yeah. That that is just. I kind of have a yeah. Mother's Day story. All right, go ahead. Tom. Right, um, go ahead. This man in Spain, this man in Spain killed and ate his mother. Happy Mother's Day. Mm. Um, so originally this man was arrested in February of 2019. His name is Alberto Sanchez Gomez. He allegedly, hands in quotations, killed his mother, cut her up, then ate her, and then whatever was left, fed it to the dog. Well, at least I hope it wasn't her dog. Um, you know, police went to the home of his 69-year-old mother following concerns from a friend. What they found was nothing less than disturbing. There were body parts scattered around the apartment. Some were kept in plastic containers. Um, it wouldn't surprise you to hear that Gomez is known as the cannibal of Ventus. Police found the bloodstain flat in his district with grisly remains. According to what mm. he told the court, he doesn't remember dismembering or eating his mom. He reported that he has been suffering from personality disorder and that he also had a drug habit before he was arrested. Um, the police knew about, you know, his violence towards his mother. And at the time, Gomez was breaching a restraining order that his mother had against against her son when he was arrested he and his mom had a confrontation that ended with him strangling her dragging her to the bedroom from there he used a saw and two kitchen knives to cut her up in order to get rid of the body once he started cutting up the body he began eating the remains over the course of about 15 days storing other parts in various counters around the house and in the fridge disgusting um gomez was 626 um of the time of the murder. He did confess to strangling his mother. How much time do you think this man should be getting? Uh, happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Yeah, I'm going to say uh, quite a while. Yeah, uh, quite I, mean, a while. Uh, I mean, the, the fact that he fed it to the dog, I'm just like, ugh, so creepy. Well, well, yeah, I... I, I do not know what to say about something like that. So, all right. Now, what we're going to do tonight is we do have ladies' night later. We were hoping to have Lauren join us for the, you know, the portion of the ladies' night show. But obviously, Coco, it's just going to have to be you. But before That's I fine do, with me. All right. Before I do, uh, there's a story. Two men in Arkansas takes turn shooting each other with vests vest on, with the bulletproof vest. And I'm like, and I'm like, 
There's actually even a video. They even uh, took, you know, they even made a video. Oh, I'm shocked. Idiots recorded it. I'm shocked, Tom. Yeah. So it's like, and I'm like, look, I mean, this is one of those things where you just say to yourself, are there, is this really happening? Is this really happening? But, but here's the story. I mean, here's the story. I love this line. The opening, yeah, opening line of this story is this. The good news, the bulletproof vests worked. Oh, We're going to take wonderful. a quick break. This is Tom Donaldson with the Donaldson Files here on the Bachelor News Radio Network. If you want to comment on any stories or you want to be part of Ladies Night, 646-929-0130, 646-929-0130. A boy born in Joplin, Missouri was fascinated by anything with wheels and a motor. The odds of him going on to fascinate millions with his talent? One in 260,000. The odds of this born racer having 157 career top 10 finishes in NASCAR? One in 125 billion. But every driver seeks the pinnacle of their achievements. The odds of him winning both the Daytona 500 and the Brickyard 400 in the same year? One in 195 million. The odds of a child being diagnosed with autism, one in 88. I'm NASCAR driver Jamie McMurray, and my niece has autism. Learn more at autismspeaks.org slash signs. Early diagnosis can make a lifetime of difference. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, back to the Donaldson Files. Listen, if you want to become a sponsor of this show or any other show, uh, this is what you need to do. It's a very simple proposition. You send an email to L.A. Bachelor. A boy born in Joplin, Missouri was fascinated. L.A. Bachelor 40 at gmail.com, and we'll get a sales staff to you. Here's what you get to be an official sponsor. No, you could actually be the sponsor of the hour. Here's what you get. You get three ads. You get... Uh, two mentions at the beginning and the end of the show that you are the sponsor of the show. Coco Koski will do an ad and will mention you and what a great product you have and company you have. And you'll actually once a month be on the show and we'll give you a segment to be interviewed. So, labachelor40 at gmail.com on the Bachelor News Radio Network. And don't forget, we do have other great shows like the Bachelor News Radio Show and You and the Law, which follows this show on this network every Tuesday night. And tomorrow night, we have Adam Hauser from uh, CFACT. We're going to be talking uh, you know, about you know, the, latest, uh, the latest science on climate change. And also, we're also going to be talking you – know, also, don't forget, we have the Dr. Larry Resistance Hour with Dr. Larry and Tom afterwards. So, but – before we get to ladies' night, but here's the, like I say, I love this line. The opening story of the line is the bulletproof vest works, but they had a good a, obvious, yeah. They, they obviously they obviously had a, a few too many to drinks before they started this adventure, and they were arrested after they showed up at the hospital complaining of chest pain. So. 
Uh, once again, ladies and gentlemen, there is just when you think things cannot get stranger, they get stranger, as we've just seen. I just think that's dumb. Like, it doesn't well, stop it me that's Arkansas, though, because Arkansas has, like, a lot of weird crap that goes on around there, so that doesn't yeah. shock me. <laughs> but, no, it's not, it's not sh- yeah. Boy, yeah. All right, okay, okay, so ladies' night, uh, what do you got for us? What do I got for you guys? Well, okay, so we've been quarantined basically for almost a year and a half or two years, most likely two years for me. Um, and so I came across this. There is a thing called relationship fatigue. You know, um, you know, at this point, you spend more than one year stuck inside with your partner, and maybe it's starting to wear on you both. And, you know, that is completely normal. I have people that I know that got engaged pre-pandemic, and now they are broken up because they were stuck with each other 24-7. And they really, I feel like it's the best way to get to know your partner to see if you are actually meant to be in the relationship. I'm very lucky. You know, I'm not really sick of my partner. I'm really not. I don't know how. Because we've been spending, like, basically, we both work from home. We're both at home. We have been at home for, like, almost, like, you know, over a year now. And, um, yeah. you know, it's totally normal to feel this. You know, even if you're living with a roommate who is, like, your best friend in the world, you know, spending every day together stuck inside can obviously be a little too much for some people. So in addition to the time spent together, many couples are facing, you know, job loss, child care homeschooling, all of which are situations that would definitely be straining, you know, to find out more about, you know, what relationship fatigue is and how you can recognize signs. Um, YouTube creator and licensed therapy therapist, Katie Morton, um, she notes that nearly everyone at some point in their life has faced relationship fatigue. Absolutely. You know, you take a one-week vacation as a, as, as a child and bring your best friend and you mostly got into a few arguments or possibly even full-on fights. Never spent a week together 24-7 and all that togetherness was too much. Um, same thing as far as relationships right now. Um, and these are signs on how to recognize relationship fatigue. So I'm starting off with number one, which is irritability. You know, we're talking about more than just your usual frustration. Think of this as the breaking point when you start to think of everything your partner does as annoying. For you know, example, you know, this could also be shown through passive aggressive behavior. For example, purposely only making enough dinner for yourself without telling them or asking if they want any. Um, I have been guilty of that. <laughs> or acting cold toward them without telling them why. I, too, have been uh, accused of that, Um, (laughs) um, you know, but I feel like if you have an open communication with your partner, you know, you guys are going to be all right. Um, I know, like, communication is, like, number one thing for me. Um, Speaking of which, we're going to dive into number two, which is cutting off communication. (laughs) It is certainly a sign of frustration if you're not voicing your feelings in general, but Morton actually said you should take note of the moments when you or your partner are leaning into silent treatment. Um, It's a problem when we stop communicating because, you know, what we are thinking and feeling expecting them to figure out is really unfair 
Um, I totally agree with that. You know, you know, once you cut communication off, like you don't really have a sustainable yeah. relationship. I think communication is definitely the key. Um, I, I just couldn't, I, I can't imagine just like for no reason, just giving him the silent treatment or just, yeah. just, just expecting him to figure it out. Um, this is actually a really funny one. I'm going to read to you. Uh, smack talk. If you finally hit the point where you're ready to talk badly about your partner to anyone that will, will listen, you know it's time to address the issue. Duh. Uh, Morton explains that this is a particularly important to note if it's not something that you usually find yourself doing. You know, I think it goes more back to, like, iterability and having, you know, um, having that open communication and really being like, you know what, this is what's pissing me off. Um, and you just talk about it instead of just like having them try to figure out why you're so pissed. So, you know, we're going to go into like, you know, well, how do you, you know, how do we get back to, I guess, normal, you know? Um, one of the things that I really like about this is carving out alone time. So even if you have to find someone else to care for your kids for a few hours, it's worth it. You know, with so many couples, you know, that have children, you know, they need to schedule some alone time. And for sure, especially after this pandemic, I, I mean, tomorrow I have my alone time. I'm getting my nails done. I'm, I'm, I'm going to a salon time in like almost two years now, which is really shocking. Um, but, you know, I think having alone time, whether it's with your partner or separate, is a really good thing. I don't think you have to be with each other 24-7 to have a great relationship. Yeah, that's true. I mean, that's the – there's a lot of valid points there because obviously, you know, in any relationship that you have in that situation, you, know, you need that time just to be by yourself. Uh, and that's right. true for both for both partners because I do this to me. I have like work, you know, I I go work out. Uh, right. And, you know, sure. And so, and that's that. That's a good example. My. And so, and so th- these are the things that you know. I, I I have no problems with that, and I think that's actually great to have that carve out, to have that ability just to take a little break and say, you know, just to yourself. And I want to let me ask you a question: I, When you do, also, do you I find yourself? I've ever... Oh, sorry, go on. Yeah, yeah. The question I was asking you: How do you know after you get through? Let's say you do your, you know, get your nails and everything done. You know. And when you get back, you know, when you get back to your partner, you know, what's the feeling like at that point? I mean, you know, I, I feel like, I, you know, um, every, every, every either Wednesday or Mondays, um, yeah, every Monday, I, I go meet my best friend for coffee. I have breakfast with him and, you know, we just talk. And I honestly don't, I don't even want to say really, like I don't ever really bitch about my partner I don't I just like you know as far as like things are really going great you know he's very supportive um and I and vice versa like I feel like I'm very supportive at the same time and you know he's not the type of person to tell me like you know well I don't think you should be doing this blah 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 or like you know I know a lot of guys would be intimidated having a girlfriend whose best friends are guys and it it, it was never even a, a question you know, it was never even like, uh, you know, what's going on. Um, I think you need to have trust in a relationship. I think you need to have, you know, open communication. Because if you don't have that, you know, your relationship is just going to go spiral. 
Well, let me ask you this question because now that it's a little bit loosened up, but you know, you know, months ago, when you guys are in the same apartment, you know, how did you get that loan? Time? Yeah. Uh, oh. So. Well. Yeah, what did you guys? I mean, we, we we had to get used to each other. We definitely had to get used to each other, and we started having like these little fights. They were so they were so stupid though. They were just like you know, we were we were crammed in this like little like not even 600 square foot studio at the time because the pandemic just hit. So I decided to move in with him. And then we were going to look for a place, the place that we're in now, which is going to be about a year. We've already lived here for a whole year already. Can you believe that? Um, yeah. No, I don't. Yeah. But then, yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, it's, it's going to be a, it's, it's a year and a couple of weeks. Um, and having like, you know, setting boundaries up especially if you're a new couple we're not really new new because like we've been together two years already and it's it's just really vibing with each other and like you know if certain things like you know like I realized he doesn't like when I you know he doesn't like to watch like certain shows that I watch so I watch them on my own time I watch them like you know if I'm working in the background or if like I just want to take a break or whatever you know, because so he won't, he doesn't have to watch that, you know, stuff like that. I mean, it wasn't really that big of a deal, um, our little fights or whatever. You know, it was just getting to know the person that you're living with. It's different when you're dating versus, yeah. you know, when you move in together and seeing how you guys click. Yeah. Well, okay, yeah. Well, let me put it this way. Was your... Did it feel better after you moved out and, and had a little bit more space? Did, you know, did that help release some of the crisis? You know, some oh of the my issues? god, yeah! I couldn't imagine us being in that little apartment. I could never, ever, um, just because I mean it was so small. And like he was working on one side, I was working on the other. It didn't work. So with here, like our place is actually we have an amazing place. Um, especially for Los Angeles, um, it's like 1,600 square feet, which is like yeah. huge in LA. That's a pretty big uh, apartment, and it's, you know, he has his one side. I have my other side where I work, and so it's it's like we see each other off and on during the day, but we're not like together all the time. You know what I mean? Yeah. Now is he now is he working still from home or is he now out and about? Working? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, he might go to an office eventually, but for now, it's it's just working from home, which is great. Oh, I mean, I, I want to. Here's a question I want to throw back to you: Is this, you know, how do you adjust to, you know, because now, now, do you work at home too? Do you not? A lot of your work. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Here's what I want to kind of uh, want you to answer when we come back from this break. Here at the Tom Donaldson okay. and Coco Kowski here on the Donaldson Files and the Bachelor News Radio Network. And what I want you to kind of do is how do you both work in the same apartment with different jobs? And and, and kind of discuss that when we come back. Uh, okay. Tom Donaldson here on the Bachelor News Radio Network, the Donaldson Files. Every day I wake up at 5 a.m. to give dad his medicine. Every day, I wake up at 5 a.m. to give Dad his medicine. At 6 a.m., I make his breakfast. Every day, I wake up at 5 a.m. to give Dad his medicine. At 6 a.m., I make his breakfast. At 7 a.m., I shower. 
Every day, I wake up at 5 a.m. to give Dad his medicine. At 6 a.m., I make his breakfast. At 7 a.m., I shower. I start laundry at 8. At 10, we go for a walk. Every day, I wake up at 5 a.m. For those dealing with the daily struggles of caring for a loved one, we hear you. That's why AARP created a community with experts and other caregivers for advice, tips, and support. Together, let's help each other better care for ourselves and the ones we love. Visit aarp.org slash caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the Johnson Files here on the Bachelor News Radio Network. And don't forget, you get a chance, you know, this with this program, um, you can listen to our podcast at any time at your convenience when you want to listen to an older show that you just want to get back and re-listen to or just simply give it to you and tell your friends. Uh, hey, guy, listen to the show. You go to the Bachelor News Radio Network dot com, and you get on the website, and all of our shows are there. You just simply put the shows, and then just go down and pick whatever show you want to listen to. So, the L the L A Bachelor Radio Network dot com. All right. Uh, the question that that I threw back to you is: How do you guys work together in the same? location oh well it's pretty easy um so with our with our apartment you know he has he took the there's a it came with a den with a fireplace right and that's in the beginning that's like the entryway of our apartment and so he turned that into like a studio for his work and i work in the bedroom which is fairly great because i have two double doors that close so literally we could be working he could be on a meeting on a phone call and i could be on the phone doing my work here and he literally cannot hear me it's uh kind of foolproof and i think that's the reason why we're staying here is because it just works so well versus if we were going to get some other apartment we would be too close to each other we have a good 20, 30 feet away from each other right now. Okay, so you got plenty of space in doing that. Oh, yeah. Uh, I see. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, okay. Yeah, the, absolutely. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, then let me put it this. So so basically, you got your own room. He's got the den. Not, let me, is, is this like a two-level apartment or condo? No, it's a one-level apartment. It's it's, a, it's like a condo. I would call it a condo more than an apartment because the way it's phased yeah. out. Because it is 1,600 square feet, but it's in a one-story, which is huge, right? That It sounds yeah. huge. Um, you know, so, I mean, it's great. Like, well, we have the end unit, so there's no neighbors, you know? So it's it's pretty yeah. great i mean as far as workspace goes like it'd be it's like the perfect office mm-hmm. okay all right now here's some things uh here's a couple of things i, I want to kind of ask you uh you know some issue okay obviously you you mentioned the fact that sometimes you you know you've had your uh i got this from psychology today now, one of the questions they ask, uh, you know, the challenges, the you know, difficult time, Repri- you know, re, you know, redoing your needs and goals, reprioritizing needs and goals. I, yeah, right. Did you ever find yourself over the past year having to, you know, put different priorities or, 
because obviously you've got a new job. You've you've changed jobs, and I know for a while yes. he was, you know, you know, you know, he was still kind of waiting around, you know, see what everybody was doing. Oh in yeah, Hollywood. for sure, for sure. So, yeah, what did you kind of do when you when you know needs and goals differed, and you know how did and how did and how did you adjust in that but, way when you're Go ahead. We have the same goals. So, you know, it's not like we have different goals in life. I mean, that's why we work, work so well together is because we both have the same goals in life. I don't think I can personally be with anybody who didn't have, you know, the same type of goals that I did because that would just be impossible for me, especially someone's ADHD. I, I can never be with yeah. someone like that. I need to have someone be on the same page as me. And if, if they're not, like – you know, it hurts the relationship. Well, imagine when you say same page, what do you mean? Do you mean relationship like, wise, job wise, career wise? How do you mean? Everything wise. Yeah. Everything from career to, um, from career to like, you know, relationships to, you know, um, just prioritizing your life, you know, like I, it, you know, I came from being like, very, very single to like being with someone in a committed relationship in the span of like two, almost two years now. And, um, it was, it was kind of an adjustment for me because I realized like I'm not alone. Like I have a partner now, so I have to really put him into consideration as well. And I think yeah. a lot of people don't really do that when they're in a new relationship. That's what I mm-hmm. mean by same goals. Yeah. I say. All right. Uh, it's hard. It's hard when you know you're single for a while and then you meet someone and now you guys are living together and you guys have a life together and then sometimes you're just like, oh, wow, okay, I have to really think about my partner, not just myself. Well, here's a, here's a question. Uh, here's a thought. All right, you know, this is coming from a, an article. Uh, the solution, create a new routine. Did you ever find yourself creating new routines? Like when you move from yes. the smaller house? To, to kind of describe that. Yes. Let me put it this way. Yeah, let me put it. Give your advice to somebody else on creating a new routine with your partner during something like this. Go ahead. So a new routine for us was like, you know, we both work pretty early. Like I, I'm usually up, except not, and I'm not today. Today I woke up late. I woke up at 7:30, which is late for me. Um, I usually am up at like 5:45, six. Um, I get ready. You know, I start coffee. Um, one of the things that we do together is we'll go walking in the morning um, to kind of help jumpstart our day to kind of wake up. Um, so we'll we'll walk a couple blocks. Um, uh, what, you're going to laugh at this, but we recently really got into the show called Ink Master. And what we do is right before work, we'll watch an episode of uh, an episode of the show right before we go to work. Cause it kind of is like, you know, it's our last time spending together that morning before we both get into work. So that's something yeah. we both do. It's like either watching a show or, you know, going for a walk, you know, something like that to help, you know, you start your day with your partner. That's our, that's our new routine. Like, we'll just watch an episode of whatever show we've been on. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, now here's the other question. Okay, once you begin to work, because obviously you're separated out, you're doing your work. Uh, is there? Do you have a, like the same lunch break, or is it the kind of a case where if oh, he's yeah. on a project, he's not? If he's on a project, he's not going to stop, or vice versa. Well, I mean, obviously he stops, you know, for for lunch and whatever, and then like like today, like this is so funny. I mentioned it again today. You know, I got done around um, twelve you know, for my lunch break. And so I, I, I ended up making like some pizza for us, sat down and watched an episode of Ink Master, and then we both went back to work. <laughs> that's like, that's why it's like so normal for us. We're just, it's just, it's just to me, it's yeah. like living with your best friend. Mm-hmm. You know? Oh, okay. So, yeah. How about, and, and uh, like also like, I mean, also tonight, what? you know, he has a really important meeting tonight. So, I will be in the bedroom watching my my TV, you know, while he does his work. So, and then I'll see him later tonight. I mean, it's pretty it's pretty normal now. Yeah. So, is he ever going to get? I mean, do you think he'll be working from home for a very long period of time, or basically, uh, this is uh, so. the new normal for him? I think it, it's great. I, you know what? Because if you think about it, the space the catering when it comes to like production meetings, they both spend thousands and thousands of a month on, on food and workspace. And, you know, a lot of people still aren't comfortable going back to work. So, you know, working from home, it stays on the commute. It stays on, it stays on, you know, food costs. Um, it's great. And he could, and if, you know, this keeps up, like we literally can leave LA and, and go somewhere else with him still working. You know what I mean? So um, as far as that, yeah. I, I, I hope it keeps up. Yeah. Okay, like, like, so we're doing, like I say, a ladies' night tonight, uh, along with uh, Strange Stories here on the Donaldson Files on Bachelor News Radio Network featuring Coco Konsky. Tomorrow night we'll be uh, talking with Adam Hauser on the Donaldson Files, followed by on this particular network, the Resistance Hour with Dr. Larry and Tom. So two-hour block there of great radio. And also tonight, if you stick around, and please do. In fact, yeah, don't just say I'm going to stay. Stick around because you and the law is going to be following us, and it's a great show. And uh, with with Virgil Green and Keith Humphrey, uh, two two gentlemen who basically know about law, about, the, about policing, since they got about 60 years of experience between them. So uh, is there any – last bit of advice you would have anybody? Uh, my main advice, honestly, is just communication. I mean, if you can talk to your partner about anything, and I hope you, you would because, you know, if they're really truly meant to be your partner, you know, they would just be there for you unconditionally, no matter what. Um, you know, just just open communication is key, man. That is one thing I've learned. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay, now I've got a couple of news stories here that I want to kind of conclude, and we're going to move on, you know, uh, finish up the show with. But this uh, this something came up. Intranasal COVID-19 vaccine candidate uh, shows sterling, you know, sterilizing immunity and preclinical tests. Essentially, the University of Alabama and Birmingham report of researchers report preclinic a single dose intranasal COVID-19 vaccine. Uh, 
It's uh, by a Maryland-based company, biotech company. And and basically, here's the thing. I mean, they're basically going to use, I mean, what they're suggesting is a nasal uh, vaccine. I mean, just shoot it up your nose. And I you know this would be yeah. kind of in, interesting because obviously the more you have the shot, it's one shot. I have to assume that there be this is going to reduce the adverse events certainly, at least uh, for uh, sore shoulder. I mean, sore muscles, sore arms. And I think, quite frankly, this is you know might be an interesting concept. And basically, the other thing too is, you, know, you don't have to put this in the refrigerator. You know, what, you know what they're saying? You don't have to put right. this in the refrigerator. It appears to be well tolerated. Obviously, anything with needle-free uh, would it be a, but but it's just kind of a you know this is an interesting story because basically it's just another mechanism. Yeah, and uh, and one of the things I I want to kind of leave at the time because we had a show by a couple of weeks ago with uh, Kevin Roach talking about vaccines, the importance of vaccines, and dealing with the virus, and. And here's the interesting thing. I'm kind of reminded of the HIV, you know, outbreaks, of the HIV crisis of the 1980s. Mm-hmm. And what people have to understand is the first set of drugs, the first drug, Retrovir, when they put it on the market, it had the biggest problem they had is that they had side effects. I mean, it basically had tremendous right. side effects. And and so people, you know, there are a lot of people didn't even complete this, the therapy. And we have to remember. In 1985, 86, and 87, when this drug was introduced, HIV was a death sentence. I mean, if you got it, you had like two years left at, at best. You had numerous oh, yeah. symptoms. You had, you had all kinds of complications. And so, and then they found, and one of the things I say is that once, this is like the first generation of vaccines, and I think you're going to see different vaccines, safer vaccines, more interesting vaccines, and more interesting treatments with coronaviruses in the future. Because uh, I think the coronavirus is going to be, you know, again, I've talked to some experts, and they're telling, you know, I had one individual says he, he he can actually see this actually replacing the influenza as the main virus during respiratory season. Yeah. But you go back okay, to, you know, that. go to the HIV story was they found, hey, they, they cut the dose in half, and they found they still got, in fact, they got better results because people completed the therapy, and then they decided. Then they had newer drugs come on the market. They played around with combination therapies, and within a period of five or six years, they turned HIV from a death sentence into a disease that, quite frankly, could be managed. Uh, I mean, think right. of it this way: in 1987, you know, you you know, you died pretty quickly. 1992, your Magic Johnson. And as they say, the rest is history because he's now, right. it's almost 30 years since he's been diagnosed. So right. he's lived a nice quality life. I mean, within five years, that's how this, you know, you know, it fast that it happened. You know, and it's the same thing here. You right. unleash, you unleash the private sector, you unleash the, the best minds and say, go to it. This is what they come up with. And the nasal side of the equation, just kind of a, it's to me a reminder. You unleash p- people and say, "Go get them." You know, it happens. You give people the incentive, right? It happens, and 
and this is just another case. I mean, you, you know, that you're, we're going to be looking at different kinds of treatments down the road that, you know, people can, you know, get, minimize the side effects, maximize the effectiveness, uh, and so on down the line. Now, the other thing, too. Right. Is, and we've got the last two minutes, and I'm going to kind of do a boxing story real quick uh, for those people. Uh, Camelio Alvarez was fighting. Uh, I love it. I mean, I say Billy Joe Saunders. Now, Billy Joe Saunders was a British, undefeated British fighter. And, now, and you know, Alvarez was the favorite. And, and it was in Texas Stadium. 70,000 people showed up for this fight. So, you know, just to mm-hmm. kind of let you know, I mean, so, I mean, this was like, you know, fighting the way they, you know, boxing the way they had it pre-pandemic in a way. You know, 70,000 people watching this fight going nuts. And and it was an interesting fight, but it's interesting because sometimes you want to say, you know, what makes a great fighter? What turns into a great fighter? And the answer Sometimes, you know, it's it's a hard thing to explain, but, you know, beating good opponents consistently. And and I, and I have to be honest with you. When I saw Billy Joe Saunders' name, I was like, you know, that's kind of, you know, that's what you would expect somebody from Mississippi. You certainly wouldn't expect somebody from Great Britain. Yeah. With Great Britain. But, and the first seven rounds were very close. And I had to fight, you know, four to three in favor of Alvarez, but you could have easily had a four to three the other way. And and it was one of those fights at the end of the eighth round. It was like you know you can you you know great fighters find a way like great athletes take it one step that one last step. You know then you know you just say you need to find another gear. You find the other gear, and literally Alvarez just out of nowhere just started nailing Saunders, and there was this one punch, and you can almost tell. I mean, like Saunders just like flinched right, right by the eye. And within about 10 seconds, 30 seconds, it, I mean, within 10 seconds, the thing just swelled up. You know, he wouldn't swelled up the entire eye. Turns out that one punch broke the guy's horrible bone near the eye. Oh, wow. Just one punch. Yeah. And it was like all of a sudden a close fight, that's it. And that's the kind of, you know, and those are the great fighters. They some find a way to do that. Listen, this is Tom Donaldson here on the Donaldson Fires on the Bachelor News Radio Network with Coco Konsky. Don't forget to join us tomorrow uh, at the same same time, 6, 7 p, you know, 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for the Donaldson Files with Adam Hauser.
Hey, we want to welcome you to You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. We're glad that everybody is uh, able to tune in and join us uh, once again for another exciting uh, show uh, that we have uh, for our listeners. Um, we're going to be uh, – we also have a guest that uh, we're going to be bringing on, and she's going to be talking to us about um, her perspective as a um, uh, in the mental health profession about the topic that we're going to be talking about, and uh, we're looking forward to having that conversation with her. So we're going to bring her on here in just a little bit. But um, we, the, we're going to be talking with uh, with you all about uh, having the talk uh, uh, between uh, black parents preparing their kids for police interaction. So. Uh, as you know, uh, May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and you and the law crew will continue to discuss mental health, uh, how it impacts on the black and brown uh, community, and when experiencing a bad incident or a tragedy uh, with dealing with police. And so we want to uh, have this conversation because it's something that is not often in the uh, black community. Um, uh, especially with everything that uh, our children have seen over uh, the past summer uh, with incidents from the horrible video from uh, George Floyd to uh, to the shooting of uh, Jacob Blake in uh, Kenosha, Wisconsin, to, to so many other things that have involved uh, police interactions. And so we just want to have this conversation about the trauma that children face, and uh, and and should and, and how parents can uh, have those conversations with their children, uh, because we don't want uh, kids to be fearful of the police, but also we need to be mindful that uh, the children continue to see uh, police violence, police uh, uh, police encounters that that turn deadly, and so this is a conversation that. We hope that you all that are tuned in will will uh, come on and join us and share with us your your comments about it. And uh, we want to remind you that you can uh, uh, listen to the show uh, uh, live at blogtalkradio.com backslash LA Bachelor, and you can also dial in. Uh, the dial in number is six four six nine two nine zero one three zero. And we want to remind you that if you do, if you are not following one of the hottest law enforcement podcast shows, you need to make sure that you follow us on Facebook uh, because there's so much important information that we uh, share with our, uh, with those who follow us. Uh, you can follow us uh, on Facebook at You and the Law One. That's You and the Law One. And you can follow us on Twitter at You the Law One. You can also follow us on Instagram at you underscore and the law. So there's so many ways you can stay in tune with us and and uh, share your comments or, or if you have a topic that you would like for us to discuss, you can leave those comments there and we'll definitely respond to those. But just go on there and, and uh, see the information that, that we have uh, shared and uh, leave your uh, comments about the topics that we're going to be talking about, but um, so much has definitely has uh, has has gone on uh, since our last show, and so 
uh, we, you know, with the rise in police shootings uh, is something that, um, you know, we continue to see happen uh, week after week. And so we're going to most likely also be talking about um, about some of those topics as well. But I need to introduce the host of the show so I do not get reminded that I am just a small co-host. So without further ado, I need to introduce everyone to the to the right of me, the host who goes by the name of Chief Swag. How you doing today, brother? I'm doing good, and and don't you ever say your word, don't you ever say your name is small anywhere, man. Don't even put those two words together, bro. Because you're at least a man with a big ego. You got big ego, big, big, big <laughs> well, ego, and big dreams. So, <laughs> well, you're right about that, man. Big dreams, big dreams, man. We got big dreams yeah. for you and the Law Podcast Show, man. We're gonna be just we're 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 uh, going to be doing a lot of great things. Uh, this we've been on for a year, so we are just looking forward to 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 really putting out some great topics and uh, having these informative discussions with each other and and with our listeners. So uh, big things are going to be happening for you and the law. Absolutely, man. But I'm doing okay. Hello to the listeners and to our guest and our, our producer. What's up, brother L.A.? How you doing, man? Well, yeah, we, without L.A., we, we, we cannot make this happen. But, but Keith, man, let me uh, go ahead and uh, bring on our guest. Uh, she, she's been previously on the show, so we're going to welcome her back again, uh, Scenaria. She is a licensed uh, therapist and founder of the Oklahoma Clinicals of Color in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. So we are glad that uh, you have taken out the time to come back to share with us your professional opinion uh, about this and topics and area. Yes, thank you guys for for having me, uh, Chief Swag and uh, <laughs> Chief Green. Um, appreciate <laughs> well, appreciate it so much. Well, thank you. Wait, wait, and, wait a minute, and, and, Virgil. Virgil, what you like? Hold on, Virgil. What is so funny? Well, <laughs> see, I did you say Chief Swag, man. <laughs> well, she's probably laughing because this time I got her name right. I, I you know, the first time we had her on the show, I, uh, I kind of, you know, yeah. mis mispronounced the name, and I felt real bit. bad about it. So uh, I wanted to make sure that I got that right. So uh, no, you didn't, you didn't kind of, you didn't kind of. But this time he butchered uh, my, the name of my organization, which is Oklahoma Clinicians. Clinicians. Clinician. Oh, Clinicians. Oh, okay. Clin- yes. Okay. Well, I, well, well. Hey, I, I do apologize for that. Oklahoma Cl- Clinicians yeah. of Color yes. in Oklahoma City. Yes. So, yes. so tell Virgil, me why, don't you just, why don't you just get ready? Virgil, why don't you just get ready to go to a break? Because you're just messing everything up, man. You're just going to have everybody <laughs> mad at you. Well, well, wait a second. Now, you know, so as the as the host of the show, I'm controlling everything, man. I'm the you, you, you absolutely do. You absolutely are. <laughs> Well, hey, well, 
you know, we are, um, you know, we're going to be coming up on a break here in just a little bit. But, but uh, before we go to the break, uh, you know, we want to remind those who are listening to the show uh, how you can uh, stay in touch with the show. Uh, you can follow us on on Facebook, and we want to remind you that if you are uh, listening, uh, call in, or if you listen on Blog Talk, uh, if you can go to the chat room, you can send a message to the producer, that message will get to us and we will put it, uh, talk about it on air. Or if you'd like to come on, we can definitely uh, uh, talk to you and uh, just share your thoughts and your concerns about this topic uh, that, we'll, that uh, we are going to be discussing, which is having to talk, uh, black parents preparing the kids for police interactions. And Keith, I think this is a a great topic uh, to talk about uh, and uh, to make sure that that our youth are well-informed and our parents are well-informed about uh, interaction between law enforcement and children. No, I, I agree with you, Virgil. I think this is a, uh, this is a, good, this is a good topic. And uh, I think, uh, mm-hmm. I think people will see as we go further along in the show, uh, why it's important. Exactly. Well, hey guys, we're going to take this uh, first break and we come back, we're going to get back into the topic, but you're listening to you and the law on the bachelor news radio network. If you've got a clogged up nose, simply stuffy. If you've got a snuffly nose, simply stuffy. If the rest of you feel fine, but your nose is out of line, give your schnozzle what it needs, simply stuffy. Simply stuffy. From the makers of children's Tylenol, it has only the medicine your child needs to make a stuffy nose simply disappear. If you want to smell a rose, get the stuff out of your nose. If you take a serious body, simply stuffy. Simply stuffy. Use as directed. Now you can increase your yields by using Conklin's Guardian Slow-Release Nitrogen Additive. Guardian holds your nitrogen in the root zone where it's needed over a longer period of time. That, in return, can reduce your nitrogen rates. That saves you money. And whether you want it in a dry or liquid formula, Guardian helps in reducing groundwater contamination, too. So save your money and be a good steward all at the same time by using Conklin's Guardian. To the You and the Law show on the Bachelor News Radio Network, 646-929-0130. The number to get in touch with uh, Chief Keith Humphrey and Chief Virgil Green, their guests. Uh, the lines are open. I'll be screening calls. If you have concerned, definitely let me know. We'll get you on if you want me to ask the question. You do that too. Hit them up on Facebook, you and the law on Twitter as well. I'm going to go back to uh, the brothers here on on the line and uh, a very important topic uh, this evening as I've had to have that talk, and I guess I'll get into that some other time, but um, back to Chief Keith Humphrey and Chief. Well, thank you, L.A., and, and definitely share with us your, your thoughts and your concerns about the topic. Uh, and, you know, I think one of the, the questions that has been asked of me, uh, Keith, and scenarios that why is it that uh, 
the uh, the black community has to have this talk with with their children. Uh, when other uh, races, uh, they don't have that uh, talk with their with their children about uh, being stopped by the police. Uh, you know what to do, what not to do, how to speak, how not to speak, and. Um, you know, I, I was watching uh, a show earlier, and I don't know if you guys have seen it, Keith and Scenario. Um, uh, it's a, a show that's on cable. It's called Queen and Slim. Um, oh, uh, yes. it, it starts off with uh, they're being pulled over by a police officer uh, on a traffic stop, just a simple traffic stop. It ends up. Mm -hmm. uh, unfortunately, where the officer pulls his gun out on the the driver and uh, he ends up uh, shooting the female and the, uh, the, the male driver tussles with him, takes his gun, and he shoots and kills this police officer. And next thing you know, they're on the run. Uh, but it was all caught on a dash cam, but so it actually showed the police officer shooting the female, and this uh, male uh, portrayed uh, in this movie was uh, almost like it was he, – he didn't have a choice but uh, in, in shooting the police officer. So those are, are things that actually, you know, happen every day. I mean, those are things that – I can't say that shooting the police officer happens every day, but those encounters with law enforcement uh, happens every day. And uh, so what makes you uh, think that parents, especially black parents, have to have this talk with their uh, children, even adult children who are, you know, graduating high school, going to college about how they should interact with, uh, with police officers? Well, I'll speak a little on that. Thank you. I'll speak a little bit on that. And I, um, it's my thought and belief that due to centuries of racism, whether it be institutional or uh, discrimination, has led up to that constant fear of uh, the police, as well as even before, even before the police came into existence, uh, slavery and the roles that were shared between whites and blacks at the time, uh, even prior to the civil rights era, um, you know, it was just the, the Jim Crow laws and things of that nature there. It's all kind of built up to this anxiety when it comes to interactions with not just police officers, but just people of different races, whites in general. Okay, okay. So this is something that so, has been passed down generation wise. Yeah, and 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 you know, Keith, uh, you know, we've talked about this on the on, previously on the show, and I sh shared this with our uh, with our guest scenario that you know we had on uh, last week or week before last several uh, audio clips that uh, what we heard six year old kids being. Uh, arrested and handcuffed by police officers. One female police officer, she was screaming at the top of her voice at, at one of the six-year-olds. The other male police officer, he was bragging about that this six-year-old was the, the youngest that he has uh, has arrested. So, Keith, you know, what 
when when parents see stuff like that and and children see stuff like that what do you how does that impact the relationship between uh police officers and 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 children and parents it it puts the parents in a bad situation because it it puts them in a no win situation at times because we've always been taught to go to police officers when we need assistance and then what you're seeing is you're seeing that when we, we when we do need assistance, and they might not recognize the fact that they are really needing assistance, but when you do need assistance, then somebody comes and they take you into custody and they treat you opposite of what you were told they would treat you. Um, and then and then it, the kids look at the parents like, well, this is what you told me to do. I did that, and, and I still got in trouble. So, mm-hmm. you know, and people talk, that's why you have to have that conversation Uh we have to have that conversation, and then our counterparts have to have that conversation with their kids of why that we are having that conversation. Of why, why, you know, why do we utilize police? And that goes back to the point that I said times before that sometimes people use us to get to accomplish things that we shouldn't even be involved in. Correct. And, right. and and so now what so so now what you're doing is you give you're telling us we've got to do your job and then we're put in those positions that we're not trained to do, so now it becomes combative and then with it becoming combative then nobody wins. And and, and yeah. so it, 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 it's just it's we don't have these conversations. We we we're we're we we don't know I don't know if it, we don't know how to have the conversations, we're not having the conversations or we don't think the conversations are important. But at the, but at the end of the day, as a as a grown as an adult as a police officer, I know that you don't put handcuffs on a six year old. I know Correct. that you don't try to intimidate a kid because a kid won't do something that their parent. I know that, and and we and we have to we just have to act like adults, and not because we're wearing a gun and a badge. This is what we're supposed to do because we make we make. Um, you know, we modify and we and we um, we transition every day to different things to to do the right thing. So why not do it then? So I, it, you know, exactly. it, it's it's confusing. Yeah, exactly. Well, scenario. You know, the trauma that the the victim, the the kids that are having handcuffs put on them and they're being uh, taken away in a police car. But also, can you speak on how that impacts their their peers, their the other kids that are witnessing this in the classroom? Uh, because it's not just something that's isolated. Other kids have have seen this. So, from a uh, from a mental health uh, profession, can you speak on how how can parents? Uh, or what should parents be doing in, in, in talking to their kids about things that they are have experienced, and can these things be uh, have a long term impact uh, with these children? All right, that's a very full question because we initially, or you initially talked about the role that other children have in seeing another one of their peers be affected. And then kind of segue into talking about how parents should respond or how they can approach. Um, to be honest, those type of experience, and I'm referencing the six-year-olds being arrested, those are traumatic 
uh, experiences. And trauma has a way of, you know, messing with not only your mental state, but your physical state, too. What we've mm-hmm. known to actually occur through uh, traumatic experience, especially for youth, is just the overall general feelings of anxiety and fear and worry um, about themselves and others. We notice behaviorally these children also decrease in their activity levels. They, they struggle with concentration and attention and then sadness and grief and withdrawal. You may even find the opposite of that being irritability and anger. You know, they may have trouble sleeping and, and eating and things of that nature there. Um, as parents, you know, it pulls at my heartstrings as an adult to hear an officer arresting a six-year-old. Um, recently, I read about a, another school-age child that was arrested and taken to jail and, you know, was kicking and screaming, I'll, I'm sorry, I'll stop, whatever I'm doing, whatever it is, I'm so sorry, I'll stop, just please don't take me to jail. They interviewed mm-hmm. that kid maybe around three years later and found that she had severe mental anguish and trauma due to that. So these wow. types of situations don't just affect at a, at a moment. No, this is something that will continue to go with them throughout life. It's a hard struggle. It really is as a parent to try to contain your emotions when you're talking about such a sensitive topic because, again, like I stated earlier, this is something that in generations We've had to have this talk, and we're basing this on our own experience, our experience that we've seen, all we've heard. So this is what we refer to as collective trauma or Mm -hmm. racial-based trauma, you know. So there's no easy answer to it. I have Mm -hmm. some suggestions that we can use. However, I just wanted to point those two things out in our conversation. Okay. I mean, you make some, you brought up some really good points, uh, especially the, the long, you know, the long-term uh, impact that mm-hmm. uh, this can have on children. And it can go from being, from being six years old to, to being 15 years old. And, and Keith, mm-hmm. uh, you know, one of the things is that this is something that uh, I don't think police officers fully comprehend or really understand. And I'm going to say maybe even really care about because it's, it's that mindset that whatever is happening at that moment, that's the only thing that I'm worried about. You're six years old now. I'm not worried about what's, how you're going to feel when you're 10 years old or when you're 15 years old. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think Keith, th- those are things that, uh, you know, that the law enforcement industry really needs to address with police officers, both male and female, whatever uh, demographic you're from, because, again, everybody has this this uh, image that police officers are your friends, police officers are supposed to be somebody you can go to, you can trust, uh, but we're living in a world of technology, guys, where Kids can get on YouTube and they can watch videos all day. They can see these videos has been uploaded in a viral all day long. And so you may see a police officer who he, he or she may wave at you and there's no response back. And now you've got that police officer having this attitude. Well, Oh, that's a bad, that's a bad acting kid or, or their parents 
have this negative attitude uh, towards police. So that's, you know, they're feeding off of the parents' um, emotions. So, but hey, guys, we're uh, coming up on on taking our next break. So we're gonna take this break, and we come back in. We're gonna get back into this important topic of having to talk. Uh, black parents preparing their kids for police interactions. But you're listening to You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Dermarest, the psoriasis solution, asks, What's complete freedom? For me, it's an open road with the top down. It's my bare arms getting warmed by the sun. It's my bare arms without a trace of psoriasis. Complete freedom, brought to you by the complete relief of Dermarest psoriasis. Unlike brands which only relieve itching and inflammation, Dermarest psoriasis also removes the embarrassing scales, allowing healthy skin to grow. Healthy skin? That's complete freedom. Dermarest, the psoriasis solution. News Radio Network, WCOM in uh, Carborough. Uh, of course, 646-929-0130, the number to get in touch with the Chiefs, your guests. Um, and don't forget, if you missed any part of the broadcast, you can go to our, our website, thebachelornewsradionetwork.com, uh, and follow us uh, on UNLaw on Facebook. I, I want to uh, go back and, and you do have some folks on the line, but I, I want to just make, if I can, make a quick comment and um, also ask a question uh, to Sister there. Um, so I had to talk with my two sons, and Chiefs, you know, I have two, two teenage boys, and, you know, not just as men, but as black men, we try to teach um, certainly our our folks to to be be strong and 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 take care of our families and everything and you know at the same time you're telling them to to keep their head up while they're being in some ways demasculated so you it's just like this overwhelming um situation where you're going from one end to to the next you want them to be proud but you want them to get home and 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 that's the the issue for me. And as you guys have been saying, and and you guess, uh, you know, racism is 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 traumatic. It's a traumatic experience. It's, if if left untreated, it's not just the the mental, but the physical. Talking about the demasculation, um, that's a concern. We and it's other races, as you all have said. I mean, look at what Asian Americans are going through now, uh, and I'm sure that the trauma is there in their lives as well. Um, so it, it's, it's really a concern. And, you know, I had a, I, I have a, 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 a question for um, Sister Okonfor, if I'm saying your, your name, Okonfor, if I'm saying your name right, if I didn't, I do apologize. <laughs> um, but it, we, we see this playing out a lot with, with Black young black kids and black men but as the chiefs know and i've mentioned on their show before that the rise 
with black women getting assaulted and having fatalities at the hands of the law is is, yeah. is increasingly alarming. So what what do you say? How do you have that talk with with young black women, young black girls, young black teenagers? What do you say to them if this if you know is there some form of difference with the genders or is it the same? You know these are the things you need to do to get home. You know. Um, to your families. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say that it's very similar, the conversation, uh, because, again, we've seen that there's little differenti- little differenti- uh, differential between uh, our black boys and our black girls in terms of their interactions with law enforcement. We've seen girls being slammed to the ground and, and uh, it only being caught on videotape. And Sandra Bland, who was killed, uh, you know, a couple years back, uh, following her interactions with law enforcement, uh, she had died actually due to her law enforcement. So again, it's not a one-step answer that I'm going to give you just to say, hey, it's going to be this simple. Just have the talk, because you, as an adult, realizing that you've had an externalized years and years and years, maybe you've learned or had the talk from your parents or your great-grandparent, and they've expressed their concerns, their interests. So you really have to explore your emotions at the time you're having this talk with your kid about their interaction with police. What we do know is that children seem to mirror whatever it is that we're feeling. So if we come off as concerned or fearful, then they're going to also absorb the same emotion when it comes to their interaction. Right, so you want to be able to to acknowledge that yes, I am I am fearful. Yes, I'm afraid. But here are some things that we can do collectively, and here's some things that I have known that has helped to to overcome that fear. Right, being honest, but then also giving your child a chance to speak on what they're going through, what they've examined, what they've heard, what they've seen, and how it's affecting them, you know. So, again, if you can at least um, get together a common bond in which you guys are seeing that, you know, the kid is seeing that they're not the only person experiencing this anxiety, and as a parent, you're witnessing your your child, you're realizing that this is something that we can work on together and show to them that there is hope. Not all police officers are bad. We don't want to lump every single police officer as bad and, and going to kill me um, because that's not necessarily true either. So um, that's just one answer. Well, you know, you make a good point, uh, scenario. We, you know, we don't want to label that every police officer is bad, that uh, every police encounter is, is bad. And, and Keith, you know, uh, this week is, uh, law Enforcement Appreciation Week or Law Enforcement Recognition Week. And so uh, this is a profession that uh, uh, is, is deadly for police officers because of the encounters that, that our men and women face every day when they put on a badge and uniform. Uh, and it's just unfortunate that uh, we have seen uh, more incidents that have involved police officers, their interaction with with teenagers, with with uh, adults, just with every age group in the black community, 
uh, and those interactions have not uh, uh, turned out good. And the fact that a lot of these uh, interactions, Keith, are caught either on the officer's uh, body camera or on a citizen's cell phone that's been uploaded uh, to to YouTube, and it's the one viral. And as I'm sitting here and we're, we're having this conversation, I, I remember the incident that took place uh, just in a suburb of Dallas a couple of years ago where a pool party, I believe, was around like a high school graduation, uh, and a pool party mm-hmm. turned very bad where a police officer just slung a young uh, a young black female down to the ground wearing a bathing suit, and he was on top of her as if she was – she was just another, just another person, another being. You know, no value mm-hmm. in 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 their life. So, Keith, when we see things like that, in in, uh, do you think that there is enough conversation going on in the police industry uh, to talk to officers about whether they, it may not even occur occurred in their city, but these things are happening. No, no. Are we no, having the conversations? Good. No, <laughs> that's no, what I not. thought. No. Yeah. No, we're we're not, and and that's not everybody. Uh, because it's not because it's not popular discussion, and it's it's very uncomfortable. And in our profession, when you start having those kind of conversations, uh, you you have uh, you have some of the staff that actually believes you're talking to them, and that you're basically mm-hmm. saying that they're all mm-hmm. that way. Uh, I encountered yeah. that in Norman, um, not taking the scenario for what it is, the fact that we don't treat people this way. What you have, uh, scenario, and you have Virgil, you have people who you have officers that click in on the fact that it's a white officer, it's a black subject, and they key on the fact that the chief is saying that all white officers are doing this. That's the problem. Then they shut down. Officers shut down. Yeah. It's the exact same thing when it goes the opposite way. They sh- people mm-hmm. shut down, whether it's a black officer and a white person, a white uh, victim, a white citizen. They shut down because police officers begin to think, well, everybody hates us. Now you're saying we're all like this. Now you're saying this is what we're going to do. You don't trust us. You think we're bad. The community thinks we're bad. And so which, what happens is you'll get law enforcement supervisors say, well, we just won't have that conversation because it's not going anywhere. You know, the, and so that's not any good. You've got to have those conversations and you've got to talk about why it's important to have those conversations. Because one, I've said this before, every police department, every city form of city government in the, in the nation is one incident away from being on CNN, being on world news, one mm-hmm. incident away from writing a multi-million dollar check, one incident away from officers being indicted, and one incident away from losing the, the trust of their communities. So you've got to have these conversations in order where you make people aware, make, these, make officers aware of, hey, this is, we don't have to be this way. We don't have to be this police department. These are the things we're doing. This is why the, everything's a training, a teaching moment, and we've got to grasp it that way. So, no, we're not having those conversations because we're, 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 we're worried about what our employees are going to say and, and how upset they're going to be because they don't want to hear it because they're, exactly. they're doing it saying they're bad. 
Yeah. No, we're not having those yeah. conversations. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's sad well, because Oklahoma, I'm sorry, I just wanted okay, to put yes, out Samira. that the Oklahoma City Police Department actually has a task force of community police officers that, you know, do their best to interact. They, you know, put together in events, uh, they interact with the community and have done marvelous things. I think that we do need to see more of that so it can uh, lower the, the anxieties that, you know, children of color have in regards to police. Again, to see that they're not all bad. Yeah. Well, and, and you know, a good example that occurs here in Oklahoma City and, and you know, to our listeners, if, you know, if you, if you got things that are occurring, on, that, that are occurring in your uh, communities, please uh, share those uh, with us. Um, but right here in Oklahoma City, uh, there is law enforcement has reached out, a real good friend of mine, they started uh, a um, a basketball event that occurs at night where uh, multiple uh, uh, officers from various agencies come together and they interact with kids at a uh, when they're playing basketball at night and um, it, it's been going on for several years uh, and so you have a I hate to term this as a small group but you have a small group who are doing some great things, but then uh, you've got other things that are, are occurring in a community that overshadow those small things that, that happen. Yeah. And it, it gives the appearance that, yeah, you've got officers who are doing these things and these guys and, and, and women, their hearts are into making sure that they build these strong relationships with mm-hmm. within the minority community, but oftentimes it's overshadowed by one incident, just like you say, Keith, you're one in- incident away from being on CNN or from being on any other nightly news or next thing you know, there's a, a, a settlement that the city has, has paid out to the family. Mm-hmm. And so it goes to a much deeper uh, conversation about, when will law enforcement get it right to where we don't have these conversations? Because, you know, the black population, we make up 13.4% of the U.S. population. Right. But of those, 16% report having mental illness in the past year, which if you – put that 16%, that's over 7 million people. That's more than the population of Chicago, Houston, and Philadelphia combined. So <laughs> the guy, so, so, I want you to speak on that when we come back out of this break scenario, but we're coming up on a break, but we're going to be coming back and we're going to be uh, having this uh, discussion with our guest scenario about having to talk with our uh, with our children, but you're listening to You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Pros in the know start with Lowe's because at Lowe's, pros can get the latest power tools from trusted brands. Right now, you can buy the new Bosch Core 18 volt two tool combo kit for $229 and get one of three select cordless bear tools free, worth up to $199. Plus, you can save time by ordering online and picking up in store. Stop by the Pro Desk or visit Lowe'sforpros.com for details. So, Pro, now that you know, start with Lowe's. Offer valid through 130-2019. While supplies last, U.S. only.
Welcome back to You on the Law on the Best News Radio Network, WTOM, Chapter of Carver as well, uh, and many uh, other places to come. Miss the broadcast, go to our website, BassNewsRadioNetwork.com, uh, 646-929-0130, the number to get in touch with the, the crew. Uh, that we have to answer your questions, comments, concerns, have some people on the line. I did get a couple of questions in. Um, guys, actually, one comment, one question. Uh, actually, received an email from someone who I actually um, know uh, who played for the New Orleans Saints back in the day. And, and Chief Humphrey, you, you know they used to be the Aints. Um, they were so bad. Um, but they, they obviously turned it around, been and won the Super Bowl. But his point was that when he played, they were really bad. And a lot of guys worked hard um, to try to, to, to stand out. And, and they were laughable. And people couldn't, they, a lot of the players couldn't understand why draft picks didn't want to go there and, and free agents didn't want to go there. It's a little football. But he, he connected it. And he said, you know, we stink. So if we want to not stink, we need to change the culture. If we're being identified in a, in a negative way, we need to change the culture. So he, he ended it by saying, if you're not that bad and we, we have good policemen, change the culture. Change the culture. Change the optics is what he was saying about that. And, I mean, you guys can get into all of the specifics of how you do that. I uh, did get a, a young lady that, that said that, um, you know, talking about mental illness in the black community is taboo. You don't do it. You just stop being stressful. You just stop doing what you're doing. It, a lot of our, in our culture is like that. Just man up, woman up, and just stop doing it. As she said, it's very hard now to get our kids to talk about those pains and those traumas to scenarios of uh, uh, points uh, when we don't have those conversations and, and we're so culturally built not to have those conversations. So wanted to get those uh, questions um, and comments out to you folks. Well, well thanks, L.A. And, Sanarin, I think that's one of the, the things, that, if you would, touch on. Uh, just the stigma within the black community about not talking about these these things uh, that we know, uh, you know, are – uh, young children are seeing, our teenagers are seeing, uh, older adults uh, are, are seeing. I think it's such a uh, a topic that is we don't have these talks at the dinner tables or we don't have these talks with our kids or even are, are, are and should these be conversations that are, uh, and I'm going to kind of may go to the to the extreme with it, should these be should this be conversations that our churches have with their church members, our pastors have? Because it just seems like it is something that uh, if it's talked about, it's talked about behind closed doors, and we just don't want to mm-hmm. bring it out from behind the closed doors. Exactly. So historically, um, community has always been the black way of doing things, right? We keep our traumas, we keep our fears, our concerns amongst ourselves, right? What goes on inside this house stays in this house, and we do not talk about it. There's only one outlet we usually are historically have had, and that is through the church and talking about things. And even then, you're told to pray it away. 
you know, because there's such a strong mistrust of these systems that we currently have in place, uh, whether that be medical or in mental health. Uh, black people have shunned it in the past and, you know, disregarded it as something that, you know, hey, you'll eventually get over. You're strong black woman or you're strong black man, you know, just get over it. The problem is, and what we know now, is that mental illness affects us more than it does white people, yet we are, are less likely to seek treatment about that. One thing that I've realized and read upon is that uh, the exposure to police killings uh, in itself is a, a topic that is yet to be really be studied, and it needs to, and we'll see again the long-term effects of that exposure to police uh, killings. Uh, but even in itself, black Americans, uh, we contribute to more, at least 55 million additional days of sick leave each year uh, when we have certain events such as witnessing police killings. So the overexposure of this has increased our need for mental health. I think in certain areas now there's a growing uh, witnessing of how mental health can, can easily be impacted by that. And through my uh, initiative, Oklahoma Clinicians of Color, we do exactly that. We try to educate uh, people of color, specifically blacks, of the importance of mental wellness as well as what to look for in mental illness. And we try to connect them to providers of color that look like them so they can feel comfortable in speaking a language that they know that the provider itself recognizes. Um, so being able to build that trust and importance of getting yourself checked out, getting yourself healed, realizing that this is not something generationally you have to continue to keep going is really important. But, yeah, that's that's my two cents on that. Well, I mean, you, you raise up some good points, and I think it's just something that, you know, oftentimes in, in you know, we – We'll talk about it again amongst each other, but it's not something that we openly talk about uh, in in large groups uh, because it's it's just some people have their uh, their opinions about it. And it. It just like you said, it's it's a, it's more of a generation uh, issue. Um, but Keith, uh, you know. This is a great topic, and we want to remind our listeners that if you miss any parts of of this show, you can go back and check out the rebroadcast shows at the Bachelor the dot com. That's the dot com. Go up and click on the icon "You and the Law," and you can check out uh, all of our previous uh, podcast shows. You can uh, check out this podcast show, but uh, share the share that with your family and friends and uh check out our facebook page but you know uh, guys this is a, a a topic that you know that we're going to continue to have throughout the month of may because you know it's mental health awareness month and i just think even when it's not uh, uh the focus isn't on mental health awareness uh but this is something that really still needs to be talked about and keith i think it's something that that we need to bring into the law enforcement uh, uh, arena that is talked about. And even though, you know, you made a comment earlier, Keith, that, you know, when you do have these conversations, people think as if you're talking directly at them, but they're so closed-minded. It's not that this is a 
this is a topic that's affecting the 13.4% of the African-American population. So mm-hmm. how, how do well, we, Keith, how, how do we get to that point to where we can have these conversations without people getting offended or getting to the point to where they become, uh, you know, as if you're targeting them and uh, they, don't re- they don't even want to hear this, this topic? Well, well, Virgil and, and, and Tamar, you've got to get back to the basics. I've said this. Uh, it's all about the basics. Why did we get into this job? We got into this job to help people. Okay, mm-hmm. how many people, how many of us have experienced mental illness in our families, whether it's directly or indirectly? How many times have we said that those individuals, if they would have just had somebody to listen to them, that they possibly could have gotten help? We say this on a daily basis. So we have to, mm-hmm. we have to start with those type of conversations that listen. That could be that could be your relative out there. That could be your son. That could be your daughter. That could be how would you want someone to treat your family member if that was them? We have a job. Our job, our job focuses on protecting and serving. Our job uh, focuses on delivering quality customer service, and our job focuses on the fact that we wouldn't exist. We wouldn't get our salaries, and we wouldn't allow, be allowed to do what we do unless the people if the people didn't trust us to do so by paying taxes and living in those cities. So why, why would you want to turn a back on someone that's in crisis? We don't, we don't make it, we don't make it personal enough. We try to stay away from that because we're on this professional side. We've got to look at this professionally. Well, you do, but it's got to have a holistic outlook of it. That could be your family member. What if someone treated your family member that way? What if someone did not respond or, or react accordingly to providing your family member, your loved one, someone that you deeply cared about with, with a resource that could help them get better? Sometimes that's how you have to get, you know, think of a time when somebody just didn't listen to you. How did that make you feel? And a lot of times that gets through to people because, You've got to make it more of a personal human side than a, well, this is happening in another city. Relive situations. You know, talk about, hey, just in the neighboring city, this happened. That's how close it was to us. How do we prevent that? This is what we can do. We just don't have those conversations, y'all. We we don't want to have because we don't, a lot of times, we don't know how to answer those questions. And it's okay not to have the answer. Mm-hmm. Because what it does, hey, it forces you to go and can, find the answer. Can I it ask the three you of you, I mean, um, can yeah, I ask yeah, the three like, of you, because I, I think Chief Humphrey put it um, where, where I was going to go. Um, one part of it is humanity. If you don't see it, someone as human um, and, and can't relate as a human being, I mean, of all races, that then that that's part part one. But you know, th- this conversation, mental illness, is also to me, to especially to your guests, is that it's one of those things where you know people don't want to talk about race because it's uncomfortable. Black people, I know, mm-hmm. more so yeah. than white mm-hmm. folks, don't want to talk about race because it makes them feel uncomfortable. They don't want to go to work at the, the water cooler and see somebody, a, a brother or sister getting beat down and their white counterpart standard, they don't want to talk about it. 
And it, that that's part of the problem. And, and, and so the, the mental illness stuff, it, it, it exasperates everything because, you know, I teach, again, I tell my kids are like, you know, you stand up for your sisters, you protect your mom, you protect your family, you know, it's that rah-rah thing. And then you're going out there and talking. So it's a lot of, and I'm I'm willing to admit that. So it's a lot of that, that part of it goes on. And I have to check myself to make sure I'm allowing my kids to come to me and express themselves. But I don't think we do that mm-hmm. enough. And I think that's sort of like the microcosm. Uh, to your right. uh, to your psychotherapist about how we don't want to talk about race, and we certainly mm-hmm. don't want to talk about mental illness. It's just not a comfortable place to be. Mm. Yeah, you, you yeah you bring up two good points, LA. We don't want to talk about race, and we don't want to talk about uh, mental health illness and scenarios. What mm-hmm. what would be what is your uh, you and, and and your organization, your group? Uh, what what are things that you all are doing to have these conversations? Or is it that the conversations come to you all, or do you all take the conversations to to the public at large? Um, a mixture of all three things. Uh, okay. Oklahoma Clinicians of Color has kind of become in I'm sorry, has kind of been overwhelmed with the amount of people now seeking treatment, looking for a provider that looks like them for mental health treatment. Um, And the need is great. Unfortunately, the people are few. Uh, Mental Mm -hmm. health professionals of color consist of maybe about anywhere from 3 to 5% of all mental health professionals, right? So we're only a small few. And uh, what we do is, uh, you know, try to educate again the community so we put together different shows events and things of that nature they are web webinars uh podcasts uh whoever we can talk to to kind of expand the knowledge base on that um but yes again i would go back to the importance of being able to open dialogue about the importance of race and how it affects your being uh children little small children don't realize there's a difference between races right? It's not until people become older that they become cognizant that there is a difference there. And I'm noticing how this person is being treated different than I am. So having that conversation, but also before you have that conversation, realize that what type of anger or anxiety that you kind of internalize from your own parents telling you the story is very important. And if you want to be the change, right, you can do that. If you want to see change, be the change. Get yourself uh, involved in organizations that are there to promote um, change uh, within the community, whether it be Black Lives Matter or something else that can make you feel like you're actually playing a role in change. You know, those things are important. And do that with your kid. Make them see that, you know, there's nothing wrong with being black. Um, you know, to take that as a sense of pride, realizing that's not a disability, but actually uh, something that you can look forward to by educating others if you choose to. Um, you know, there's various things such as – but another thing good? that I kind of want to throw out real quick is turn off the TV. We know that overexposure of violence, the more that we see images, the more that they become indoctrined into our mind and affects us not only emotionally but physically, you know. So mm-hmm. be sure to do that and take time for yourself. Yeah. Well, scenario, you know, we're coming up on the last uh, couple of minutes of the show, 
and we definitely yeah. want you to be able to share with our listeners uh, information about uh, uh, the group that you are uh, a part of and and uh, any information you can uh, share with our listeners about how they can get in touch with you or ways they can reach out to, to seek uh, assistance uh, or seek some type of someone to talk to. Uh, when, when, uh, and oftentimes, like we said, it, people will want to do it in private. So um, mm-hmm. if you got any information you want to share uh, with our listeners, please do so so they can reach out to you and, and uh, the organization. Yes, I'd be so happy to help. Now, depending on where you live, there's different, uh, we call them clinicians of color, um, that may be in your area. So if you'd like to reach out to me, you can go ahead and email us at www, uh, sorry, not www, but clinicians, Oklahoma clinicians of color at uh, gmail.com. That's one way. Or you can uh, call 405. 716-0043. Again, any one of those outlets uh, can get you in touch with me, and I can assist you in helping to find a provider in your area. Well, good. Some good information. T-Swag, you got any other final uh, thoughts before we end the show, sir? No, man. I, you know, this is a topic that's, uh, that's needed, and especially for uh, – our generation, because we were we were raised not to question, uh, not to ask questions, and and not to uh, 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 when you see something that's uh, how do you say it that's grown grown folks affairs. Yeah, grown yeah. folks <laughs> affairs. So this is good. This is good conversation for people of our generation. And there you do have a generation that that needs to know. They want to know. These kids want to hear. Uh, they need to know why, and, and we can't hide it anymore. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, and this is something, guys, that, you know, we're definitely going to uh, scenario have you back on again and uh, to talk more about uh, these concerns and things that are going on in our communities that oftentimes we don't talk about and oftentimes right. we need to have those, those hard conversations with each other about. And, and really, hopefully, you know, getting more people engaged in the conversation. I think that's real important, guys is just getting more people engaged in the conversation, whether it be, mm-hmm. you know, your pastors or whoever it may be, or even your insurance, or anybody to have that conversation about uh, things that are concerning our communities. But, but hey, guys, it's been a great show. Tenere, we definitely thank you for taking the time to come on and, and talk with me yes. and uh, Chief Humphrey and our listeners, and we definitely look forward to having you back on uh, again. Likewise, and a pleasure. Right. Okay. Well, hey, guys, we thank you for tuning in for you uh, you and the law on the Bachelor News Radio Network, and definitely stay tuned uh, and, and come back and listen to us next week. So, T-Swag, we'll see you next week, brother. <laughs> All right, man. You have a good weekend. Samari, good talking to you, L.A., and to the listeners. God bless. All right. You've been listening to you and the law on the Bachelor News Radio Network.